0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Faith Borger Podcast. Today's episode is part two of a discussion between Pastor Les and Dr. Micah Green, a professor of chemical engineering at Texas A&M University. Dr. Green is a native of Borger, and Dr. Green joined us here at Faith a few weeks back for our Firm Foundation Sunday. In this week's episode, Pastor Les and Dr. Green discuss the importance of instilling our kids with confidence in our Christian faith. And some current questions the culture around us is asking about God and Christianity. Here's Pastor Les and Doctor Green. Uh, so
1: I guess the, two quick questions too. Like you've already may have answered this already, but like how would you describe a person who does have that quiet confidence? Like you know, how, you know, how would you describe their character? Maybe their, you know, you know, their 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 posture in a conversation. But then too, you're a dad of teenagers now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you going to do to give
2: your kids? That, that confidence oh, the, so on the, on the second point I'm still working on this now the biggest thing is to have those discussions on a regular basis yeah. um, honestly I think one of the biggest things that drives kids away from the faith is if they ever get the sense that their parents don't really believe this that this is just mm-hmm. a show to be socially respectable or because it's the culture so I'm constantly trying to input the idea of like we really believe this this really is true. This really does drive my life. This is not some, just some hypocritical play that we go through. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest thing on the parenting front. You mentioned the quiet confidence. I mean, the the face that keeps coming to my mind is Tim Keller. Yeah. He passed away recently, pastored in Manhattan. Yeah. Right. So he saw a lot of these cultural shifts long before the rest of us mm-hmm. did. And um, that, that confidence of saying like, you know, whatever, all truth is God's truth. So there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can teach me that's going to, shake my faith in the risen Jesus um, that that helps you to have be able to have dialogue with people rather than viewing yeah. them as a threat yeah. yeah that is my big worry Christians are worried sometimes that' like oh the culture's changing I don't like that and they start viewing other people as a threat or as um, as a villain to be defeated mm-hmm. um, I've heard these phrases like if, if you demonize someone, Think about that. If you demonize another person, demons are not redeemable. We cannot, oh, yeah. we cannot treat yeah. some other person like they're not redeemable. This other yeah. person is redeemable. Yeah. They're made in God's image. Jesus loves them. So we can't ever go into, a Christian can't ever go into the mode of like, that person's my enemy and I have no regard for them. Right. I'm right. just out to defeat oh, exactly them. Like, right. Yeah.
1: You know, something I always uh, appreciated so much about Tim Keller was, I, I just noticed, he was always such a, a, a thoughtful questioner. Mm-hmm. Like he would, he would, dialogue with people or tell, yeah, me, ask why, them good tell questions, me why yeah. you believe what you believe i'd really like to know right and that was kind of his his starting point yeah and he would affirm so some of the things they said yes yeah. exactly yeah exactly so that, right. that
2: whole social justice sequence we just talked about i heard keller do exactly that like yeah i i appreciate your desire for justice like that, you know that yes. that that, that yes. kind of move I think is really good. Yeah, and so. read
1: the Minor Prophets; they had a yeah. passion for justice as well. Absolutely, yeah. And justice is coming, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's so good. Well, it's so so good. Well, hey, listen. Um, one thing you kind of mentioned there, and you've been here this weekend. Uh, you've been talking with us about uh, the uh, the idea: Is God good? Mm-hmm. And, and that was so, so powerful. We were sharing with the staff, or the staff were sharing with me, I apologize, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that uh, there was somebody who had a Facebook post out, and, and the gist of the Facebook post was, I have no problem believing that God is real. My problem is believing that God is good.
2: Mm.
1: And so, you were speaking with us about that today, and I would just love for you to take a few minutes to talk about this a little bit more, because we talk about how Christianity this little group of galilean fishermen and and you know this ragtag bunch just completely transformed Uh, The world paradigm. And Mm -hmm. when we think about uh, how cruel and brutal and oppressive the ancient world was, and it Mm -hmm. still is in some places. We Mm -hmm. look at North Mm -hmm. Korea, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. look at China, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. But now, today, things that we take for granted, like hospitals, orphanages, uh, human rights, the abolition of slavery, uh, woman's suffrage, public education, (laughs) free public education for everyone. Yeah. No matter your level or ability, et cetera, et cetera. I'd just like for you to talk a little bit about uh, the, the goodness of God, the goodness of Christianity, and kind of how that whole paradigm shift has come about. Yeah, I,
2: I think, I mean, you, you said it well, but generally people don't recognize just how horrible the ancient world was. The idea that if you, were a, 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 if you lived in the Roman Empire, that um, people did not believe in equality. They did not believe in rights. There was a real hierarchy. Women had virtually no rights at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Men could kind of do what they want, especially Roman citizens. Um, But the thing that hit me the hardest was hearing about the lack of compassion and lack of regard that people had for, for the poor, the diseased, and for babies. Yeah, there are babies who would be born and it's like if this baby if we didn't want this baby we actually wanted a boy instead of a girl or this baby looks to form that they would actually the the, the ancient term was expose mm. you're like what does that mean to expose a baby that means you like leave him in the woods mm. or leave him at the dump just to die Yeah. and the idea that people would have such little regard for um, someone who actually reser- deserves the most compassion um, I just found kind of horrifying yeah. but then you introduce this group of people who go out with the message of Jesus. And what I read about is this idea that um, while other people were leaving babies at the dumps, the Christians would be the ones to go into the dumps yes. and rescue those children. And that's where this idea of an orphanage just first came <laughs> along. There was no such thing before that. <laughs> and so in that context, you can say, wow, the, the early church really stands out from the culture around it. <laughs> and then you say, well, well, why can't we stand out from the culture around us? Part of the reason is the culture around us believes in equality, believes in the dignity of humans. Like they actually, the culture around us actually shares a lot of Christian values. Yes, sir. That's why when you see someone who says, I care about justice, I care about uh, 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 human dignity and values, and I want to see the world become a better place. You have to say like, why? Where do those values come from? Start asking questions. Mm -hmm. The reality is that those things are not obvious. Science didn't prove them. Those things all ultimately come from the message of Jesus that has turned the world upside down. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the the more we can show that 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 distinction between a world without Jesus like what it was in the first century Roman Empire and the the, uh, it distinguish that from the world inside the church Uh, there was one Roman Emperor who was like oh this church this this group of Christians it's all women and slaves and I was like well you can kind of see why this is the only place that they're treated with dignity so
1: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. well that's so so right and I just kind of pictured in my mind you know maybe you know around you know 75 AD Mm -hmm. Some sweet Christian woman picking up these babies. Absolutely. Because the Holy Spirit moving in her heart. That's right. Picks up these babies. He starts taking them home. And then her church gets behind her and says, well, hey, we'll add a couple of rooms onto your house. And she spends the rest of her life, you know, caring for these unwanted children. And somehow that becomes a ministry of the church. And they begin to do it. And you read in Acts chapter six, you know, hey, we're going to care for the widows. That's right. And that just was not done.
2: In the ancient world. But you see, as you tell those stories, now it becomes not just Christianity is true, but Christianity is beautiful. Those things yeah. are beautiful. It's different than the yeah. world around them. And I find that like we're, we're trying to convince people that, that our faith is true. It's not just a question of true. It's a question of beauty. The mm-hmm. more that they see the, see the beauty of Jesus' message, the more plausible it will be. Oh, that's awesome. That's so, so good.
1: And so, just uh, in your interactions with young people and things you're seeing on campus, et cetera, et cetera, What do you think has created this perception that Christianity isn't good? I realize it has a lot to do with issues relating to sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also been, you know, let's be honest. um, Some of it's, you know... uh, the church has actually been oppressive at it, 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 times it, it, in history. Yes, <laughs> that is true. And there, there have been times the church has been very oppressive, and lately, you know, we, uh, you know, some unforced errors. I mean, we've had some church scandals. That's right. huge church scandals. Yeah, yeah, especially of Christian leaders, mm-hmm. uh, Christian apologists mm-hmm. who have, uh, you know, treated women terribly. Mm-hmm. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But like, why, why do you think though? In the past, it would have we would have said, well, they made a mistake. But now it seems like it kind of fits this narrative that. God isn't good. Christianity's not good. I mean, it's kind of yeah. more
2: of a narrative than just like oops, we made a mistake. Right? I mean, I could say on campus, you know, the the, the word of the hour is, you know, liberation. How do we progress? How do we make progress? How do we f- how, uh, so maybe the way to think of it is the postmodern, the the modern self says like, oh, through science we will we'll make everything better. But then uh, eventually the postmodern narrative is more that like we have to be careful even about truth claims. Any truth claim Anything that people do can just be a power play where one person tries to get power over another. So if a Christian makes a claim about truth, then that's often viewed with suspicion like, oh, you're mm. saying implicitly that you're better than me? That's arrogant. How dare you say oh, that wow. you have a corner on truth and other people don't? So it's all viewed through the lens of power. And if you say I have the truth, this actually is true. And that this other thing is not true. That's viewed with suspicion. So postmodernism is sometimes described as suspicion of metanarratives. Anybody who says they've all got it all together, you should be suspicious of them. Now, uh, Careful listeners will realize that that's a contradiction. That this person just <laughs> <'cause they laughs> wait a, a minute. <laughs> so you're saying that truth claims are oppressive, and you just made a truth claim. Hmm. So, so that's part of it. Um, on the sexuality front, there's also this idea of like, well, no, basically saying no one has the power to tell anyone else how to live their life. Mm-hmm. So you should be affirming of everybody's decisions. And for Christians, we could say like, look, even if legally something is allowed, we don't have to say something is human flourishing, even if it, if it's not, it's not, you know, we can actually make positive claims about human flourishing. So that conflict is at the, is at the heart of a a lot of the, Mm. the difficulties now. Um, and part of it comes from like, well, what is human flourishing? Is it really just to do whatever your heart desires? Is it really the freedom to remake yourself however you want? Is that really freedom? Keller had a, a, a uh, an illustration that I found to be really helpful, which is if you're out at sea and mm-hmm. you want freedom, should you get out of the boat? Hmm. the boat is constraining. If you say, I can only be in the boat, then that's kind of constraining. Maybe we should get out of the boat. You'll quickly find that your freedom is really limited. (laughs) And if you would stay in the boat, you'd have actually far more freedom and you'd be able to flourish. And I think that's the kind of image that Christians need to give is like, look, we understand you want freedom, but you want the freedom to flourish and God, God made you and God made you to flourish. And here are the ways that we can flourish. And if you say like, I, I, I reject God's ways, and I'm going to try to find my own way, you'll quickly find yourself hemmed, hemmed in without a lot of freedom and without a lot of meaning and happiness. Mm. Well, that's so, so good. And there are sharks in the water. Too. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Really,
1: really good. Uh, Hey, just real quickly, there's something I want to touch on. This is more from a selfish point of view, I think, uh, selfish need, but uh, my daughter is a graduate student Mm -hmm. in anthropology. And just this last week, uh, as part of her responsibilities, she had to teach uh, human evolution Mm. from a Darwinian perspective to Mm -hmm. a group of incoming freshmen. And she was really struggling with that. And, you know, we were having this conversation on the phone. She said, Dad, I believe... Every word of God is is breathed; it's inspired Scripture. And she said, "I just, you know, need to know. You know, like, you know." She said, "I know what I believe about this, and I know what you believe about this. But what, you know, what do I say? How do I handle this issue?" And uh, I'm sitting here thinking about like there are three of us here in the room. There's me and you, and there's Michael. Uh, and all three of us probably have a different point of yeah, view yeah. when it comes to the issues of the origin of man, uh, how it relates to. Uh, you know, Darwinism, things like that. Yeah. Uh, creationism. So, the four levels of the origin of man, we'd start with uh, materialistic evolution, mm-hmm. you know, pure Darwinian evolution. Uh, then there's the whole idea of theistic evolution, that uh, God uh, somehow set evolution in motion. Uh, then uh, there's what's called old earth creationism. That those six days of Genesis uh, are representative of long spans of time. That the earth is actually quite old, but at some point God created man. And then there's young Earth creationism, which uh, I think a lot of people in our area, West Texas, are uh, you know, are really loyal to. You know, like, hey, the six days of Genesis are six literal days, and the Earth is roughly six or seven thousand years old, and it has the appearance of age. And so, I don't necessarily want you to tell us what you believe on that. Yeah. But how how would you encourage maybe a parent or just somebody who's thinking about these things to may, maybe just uh uh, give a give a, give some thoughts on how, how you navigate that and, sure, sure. and 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 have fellowship with other believers who might have different opinions on some of those things.
2: Right. And I, I will warn you,'m I'm, I'm one of these people. I, I know this area well enough that I can tell you for sure that all of these positions have points of major discomfort. Oh right! Anybody who says like, well, oh, I got it all figured out, no problem," like, no, you don't. You that's have well said. You that's, have a, you true. have points of discomfort for sure. Yeah. Um, so the first yeah. group you mentioned, the the materialist. I mean, that's you know that's more the either atheist or functionally atheist view of the world that says you know there's no god or if there is a god he can't he's not allowed to interfere with the the way that that, that uh, the world goes along and they have major problems right? Yeah. Evolution can't help them on the origin of life. Evolution right. can't help them on the fine tunedness of the universe, and so science can't prove God but science can help you prove some things that make you real suspicious
0: like, I guess that's the way I would
2: phrase it when you start yeah. looking at the constants of nature and saying like wait a minute if you if you mess with the laws of physics just a little bit in any direction, you get a lifeless universe. Yeah, it's almost like somebody set it up this exactly this way. Hmm. Like, so you start getting real suspicious. So I think they have they have real problems. Yeah. What was a quote by Fred Hoyle? that Yeah, yeah. he said it, it's as if a super intellect has monkeyed with the laws of physics. And I was like, a super intellect. That's an interesting choice of words. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and if you see, but you will see a lot of materialist evolution in the university, and a lot of that is not necessarily because they're saying that God doesn't exist. They have set it up where the rules of science are such that you can only consider materialist right. explanations right and so any all of the, all, the, all other explanations are off the table um so i think they maybe are, are being a little weaselly with the, the way they define words on the one hand they say well science only looks at the natural world so all other explanations are off the table then in the next breath they'll say if you consider anything other than a material universe then you're being unscientific and you're being irrational and i'm like oh you just switched yeah definitions of science mid-sentence there wow so science can just can study the natural world, but science can help us philosophically then reason about what's behind it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even if we could write down all the equations, <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Einstein always says, like, what is it that puts fire in the equations? And I thought, now that is a great phrase right there. Yeah. You know, uh, wow. that God puts fire in the equations. R.C. Yeah. Sproul always said, there's not a single rogue atom in the whole world. Yeah. God makes it work. And that's why science is possible. <laughs> so I think the materialists have it the worst for that reason. Yeah. And then the different levels that you said, um, theistic evolutionists say everything they teach in your science class, it's that, but God worked it out providentially. Right. Yeah. Um, which we, I mean, we believe in the idea of providence that like things happen in the world and we could say that happened naturally, but also God's providence was behind it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, there are old earth creationists. We, they would say like, no, God actually supernaturally acted in the world. Particularly the, the main focus for old earth creationists is that God specially supernaturally created Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right. That's the key issue is that Adam was yes, created distinctly in the image of God. And then young earth creationists would say like, actually a lot of the stuff they tell you in your science class is not correct. The earth, the earth is young evolution from, you know, amoebas to, to anteaters is not really the way it is. And so what are the points of discomfort? I'll go ahead and tell you this. The points of discomfort for the theistic evolutionist is like, how do I quite make this? How do I make my view jive with scripture? Yeah. I don't know if I can. I don't know how to do that. And a lot of them like don't take it seriously enough. If you want to learn more and say like, who's a good theistic evolutionist to learn from? Um, a very prominent example is longtime uh, National Institutes of Health director Francis Collins. Yes, yeah, he started BioLogos. That's a good example of someone to learn from. Mm-hmm. On the old Earth side, probably the most well-known example is is Dr. Hugh Ross and his organization, Reasons to Believe. They've done a great job. And then there's lots and lots of, of young Earth creationists that I that, that, that you can point to. So the so basically. The theistic evolutionists have a hard time trying to figure out what do they what do they do with the biblical text? Yeah, and the young earth creationists they have a hard time because, um, and they don't always admit this, but this is true. Like there are a lot, there's a lot of evidence that makes the earth look like look like it's old. And yeah. even within a young earth context, every young earther will tell you the earth is created with the appearance of age. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Adam and Eve are not babies, right? They look like they've been there for some time. And so, for the for young earthers, I guess I would ask this: If the Earth is accreted with the appearance of age, we have to phrase that in such a way that it doesn't make God a deceiver. Yes. Right. Yeah. If you have trees, do they have tree rings from? things that never happened? Are there fossils of animals that never lived? Is there starlight coming from stars that never existed? You got to phrase it in such a way that it doesn't make God out to be a deceiver. And if as a young earth creationist, you believe that the earth was created with the appearance of age, you can't be that angry at the scientists for saying, well, it looks like the earth is old because, so so please be charitable. Please <laughs> be charitable. I guess that's what I would say. The other, the other point where I would tell the young earth creationists to be charitable, because they're usually like the most insistent, like my way is the only way, is the question of how to interpret the first few chapters of Genesis in regard to the age of the earth. They usually say anybody who sees it differently than us is being influenced by Darwin. And then I, I read a book from Hugh Ross and he pointed out, mm-hmm. here's what the church fathers said in the third and fourth century about how to interpret Genesis. And you realize like, oh, yeah. Christians have actually disagreed with each other yes. a lot yes. going back centuries, long before Darwin. Yes. And so the point I took away from that is like, can we please be charitable to each other? Yeah. If someone disagrees with you, don't assume the worst assume that maybe they're trying to fit these puzzle pieces together as well yeah um if you want a line of orthodoxy like thou shalt not go beyond this you know how much of my class like what what do i need to plant a flag on and say this is what the bible teaches and i can't go beyond this i think that work has been done and the answer is plant a flag on the idea that adam and eve were literal people yeah I go. think well, if you lose a literal Adam and Eve, there's a lot of problems that start to happen, especially because Jesus and then later Paul certainly seem to treat Adam yes. and Eve as if they were literal people. So I think yeah. that's, if you want a line to draw in the sand, that's the one to draw.
1: That's awesome. No, yeah. that's that's very, very well said. No, it really is. And then just uh, just very, very briefly, uh, you know, when I think about the Discovery Institute and intelligent, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the Intelligent Design Movement, mm-hmm. uh, I can remember just being grieved to my heart that there's a... A really prominent Christian university here in Texas that had a professor who, oh, oh wanted, yeah, I've met him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to, uh, you know, uh, kind of promote some of these ideas of intelligent design and, and uh, he was, uh, I don't know if he was dismissed,
2: but he was... Yeah, it was a controversy for sure. Yeah, it was a big, big controversy. Yeah. Uh, So, for... Maybe one valuable way to think about it is like a a lot of scientists say intelligent design is not real science because it doesn't make predictions. I actually, I moderated a debate between two Christians, Michael Behe, one of the most famous intelligent design people out there, and Dr. Joshua Swamodos. He's a younger guy, closer to my age. And they basically disagreed on this point, like, does intelligent design count as science? And Behe tried to make the case that, like, if it makes predictions then it can be science and there actually are a few cases where by saying that God is behind the universe we make certain predictions and we can see if the predictions turn out to be true or not so one good example is um, Hugh Ross and others predicted that so-called junk DNA mm-hmm. would turn out to have a purpose yeah. and not be junk Yeah, and it turns out they're right what we had previously <laughs> called junk DNA actually does have a purpose wow. and so I think that's that's interesting that said I mean P- folks are right when they say there's some some of the things that operate in our bodies or like i don't quite know what that does um some people for a long time thought the appendix had no purpose yeah it turns out in the first world it doesn't help you that much but in the third world if you like get certain diseases and your gut bacteria gets wiped out if you have an appendix you get it back faster yes sir so yeah. but even so like uh, i understand where they're coming from it does seem like there's some stuff in our bodies that's there for no purpose so anyway yeah. that's yeah. that's where the the debate lies i don't think you'll ever get people in academia to like actually treat intelligent design as a, a topic. But I think it's, it's miserable if we try to like squish inquiry from the top down, the whole point of the university is to give people freedom yeah. to chase down these ideas yeah. um, and not try to squish it from the top down because you're worried about yeah. what they might say or think. Right. That's actually the main point of tenure is to give people freedom to chase down questions oh, like yeah. that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. Which I guess in, in my mind, it kind of goes back to kind of where we were a little while ago in that we above all as believers, should be a listen a listening people yeah a, a people who 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 listen and thoughtfully discuss and dialogue, and uh, we don't want to become like that mm. and so I, I really understand that uh just kind of you know just to kind of put a bow on it, kind mm-hmm. of sum it all up, um, any advice? For moms and dads, we care a lot about our kids here at FCC. Mm-hmm. Any advice for moms and dads to be kind of preparing their kids to go out into the world that we're in right now and just face the world and just, you know, go out and be able to uh, do some of the things you're doing. You know, be thoughtful and uh, and uh,
2: devote your life to you know, kind of changing the culture around you. Hmm. A couple of things jumped to my mind. I led a discussion of college students at my church not too long ago. And one of the things we we did is we tried to brainstorm. We tried to brainstorm what would spiritual growth look like for this semester? Mm. And people, you know, list different things. It was a lot of the stuff you would think like, oh, I want to spend more time in, in scripture. I want to spend more time in prayer and I want to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But every single thing they listed was individual. Mm. Something they did on their own. And I was like, I don't know about that. Wow. My the other person leading our discussion is my friend Yusuf. He's from Egypt. Yes, sir. And he said, like, hey man, you Americans, you really, uh, really like to do things as individuals. He's like, I know you need to declare independence from the king, but you don't have to declare independence from everything. <laughs> and I, that phrase, you don't have to declare I was like, Man, he's right. We are really prone to saying, me and my house. In my castle, in my family, we keep to ourselves and we do things on our own. The early church would probably not recognize that. So doing more things in community. Imagine, you know, a young man growing up in the church and they have not one man to look to, to, to spiritual leadership, but like a dozen men who all affirm him as a man. I mean, this this is important, right? That yeah, really would yeah. help and gives them much more of a confidence in God's word as mm-hmm. opposed to it just being them all on their own, them and their, their yeah. individual walk with Jesus. So I think community matters a lot. Community also affects what we find to be plausible or not. So if oh, you send yeah. you know your young person off to college, <clears throat> if that young person finds community with yes, other right. believers, who are sharpening them as iron sharpens iron uh-huh. that that really removes a lot of of risk factors yeah so to speak yeah um the other point this kind of relates to to my buddy yusuf he's from egypt I find that the more I care if if I just focus on the American church in the 21st century, Mm -hmm. then I have this like long laundry list of complaints and things that like irritate me or like, oh, that was really unhelpful. That was harmful, blah, blah, blah. The more I learn about the global church through space and time, and I start thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ in Korea who are sending missionaries back here yes. to evangelize the United States. And I think like, oh, when I say the church, it needs to be more than just my little circle. I need to be thinking right. about the fact that, that the church transcends national boundaries. It goes back in time. We have a huge swath of wisdom that we can draw on and once you start th- once you see that it actually can cure a lot of like it, you know it, there are some people who feel betrayed by their, their local church yeah. and they tend to like throw all of Christianity out mm. once you realize like no your local church is not all there is to it There there is yes. a much broader body of believers and their wisdom and kindness and the way that they've worked to change the world that's what you should think of when you think of the church mm. I think that that global perspective is much more helpful
1: Yeah, yeah that's so powerful you're so right because a local church is so limited because it's so it's uh, so dependent on its on its region mm-hmm. to give it so much of its point of view, its yeah, perspective. Then may such, have blind spots, you know. Absolutely, yes, yeah, blind spots. We have huge blind spots here at Faith Covenant Church. But yeah, to step outside of that and say, what does the broader, the historical and global church believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, Would be so powerful in a young person's life. Yeah, uh, that's so so good. I appreciate that
2: very much. <laughs> it, it, well, I had this experience a few years ago. I was in, I was in Toulouse, France for work, confusingly. Wow. And, you know, I love old churches and I love, you know, so I'm walking around Toulouse and the French, they're like, I'm not translating anything to English for you, buddy. Like, forget (laughs) it. So I go to this like kind of monastery, little chapel sort of place and I'm reading along and there's this thing in the middle of this, this big church and I'm reading and I can read enough French to be like the tomb of... And it was the tomb of Thomas Aquinas. And I like almost fell over. I was like, every smart idea I've ever had, this guy already had it 800 (laughs) years ago. And, but it was this feeling of like, you are not alone. This is not, your Christian walk is not like up to you to figure out how to walk with Jesus and how to change the world. You are part of a, big, long stream of brilliant men and women who've come before you to pave the way. And the more you learn from them, especially if they're outside your time and place, Hmm. the better it'll be. And for some reason, that, that feeling of seeing this man that I respect, the tomb of this man that I deeply respect and realizing like, he's not just a dude in the dictionary. He's someone who changed my life. Or to go to, to go to the, the cathedral in Geneva and think, Sermons preached in this church changed my life. Yes, sir. Go to Edinburgh and see John Knox's church. It's the same thing. Like once, the more we get out of our little bubble and say like we're part of a massive, uh, world-changing movement that Jesus started, then I I think it'll it'll help us to I don't know maybe be a little less uh, uh, frustrated with like our own weird little problems that we run into in 21st century America.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's so so good. Honestly, Mike, that, yeah, your your walk with Christ has to be bigger than your local church. Yeah, it really does. Man, it's so good. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for all the time you spent with us today. Uh, that you spent with us all weekend, and yeah. you've been such a friend to our church. And and uh, we really hope that this podcast is gonna bless a lot of people, and I hope that a lot more people get to be exposed to uh, yes, your
2: thoughtful and, and, uh, and kind spirit. So thank really you, sir. You I sure nice. appreciate it. You've been a, a wonderful influence on my life for a long time now. Do we even want to say the number of years? I mean, it's like no, really 27, don't. 28 years. It's a long time. So yeah, yeah. It has been, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Les.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Faith Borger Podcast. We hope you've been inspired and encouraged in your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Leave us a review and share this episode on social media. Your support helps us continue spreading the extraordinary love of Jesus and His gospel to the world. To stay connected and explore more resources from Faith Covenant Church in Borger, Texas, visit our website at faithborder.com.